0: Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. I'm a philosopher who advocates Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism. Today I'm discussing an objectivist's take on Jordan Peterson. I don't think Jordan Peterson needs any introduction. Uh, He's well known and i chose his uh, most popular work 12 rules for living to look at what is going on with him and my conclusion is not exactly what I thought it would be my conclusion is that there's a good side of him and a bad side of him he's struggling with his commitment to Carl Jung's post-Freudian mystical philosophy, and that's responsible for the bad in him. The good in him is he's a practicing clinical psychologist, and he actually looks at the world and makes some first-handed observations about it. Unfortunately, he generalizes from his own case and those of the patients that he has, and he therefore overlooks the possibility of psychological health and heroism, even though he says he believes in heroism. So let's take a look at it. I think the, the um, overall lesson here, if we're looking at the 12 rules for living, is that a person's concrete rules or suggestions or ethics or value choices or priorities are set or at least shaped by what Ayn Rand called metaphysical value judgments. Metaphysical value judgments is a term she made up to cover one's view on metaphysics insofar as they shape the rest of one's value choices. In other words, before you can say what you ought to do, you have to know what the world out there you're dealing with is like. So metaphysical value value judgments are judgments answering questions such as, and this is her list, is the universe intelligible to man or unintelligible and unknowable? Can man find happiness on earth, or is he doomed to frustration and despair? Does man have the power of choice, the power to choose his goals and to achieve them, the power to direct the course of his life, or is he the helpless plaything of forces beyond his control, which determine his fate? Is man by nature to be valued as good or to be despised as evil? Peterson is on both sides of all those questions and it's very frustrating to read him for that reason. I'm going to begin with some of the uh, horrific side of him and contrast it to Ayn Rand. His view on happiness and suffering, here's a quote, pain matters more than matter matters. It is for this reason, I believe, that so many of the world's traditions regard the suffering attendant upon existence as the irreducible truth of being. The suffering attendant upon existence as the irreducible truth of being. Suffering, in other words, is what's really real. At least in the view of the world's traditions, which he's a big defender of. Suffering is what's important. Suffering is the uh, avenue into real reality. And that's what metaphysical value judgments are all about. What's important? What's essential to life? What's the real truth behind the superficial appearances? So a person like Ayn Rand believes, yes, suffering exists, but it's not the essential, it's not important, it's not what really matters. Peterson reverses that. Here's what Ayn Rand says on the same subject. Uh, But first I should reread that short thing from Peterson to set it up again because it's probably gone out of your minds. Pain matters more than matter matters. It is for this reason I believe that so many of the world's traditions regard the suffering attendant upon existence as the irreducible truth of being, with a capital B. Ayn Rand In Atlas Shrugged, has her heroes say two things, among others. One is never think of pain or danger or enemies a moment longer than is necessary to fight them. And this, Dagny, that's one of the characters who's being spoken to. Dagny, it's not that I don't suffer. It's that I know the unimportance of suffering. I know that pain is to be fought and thrown aside, not to be accepted as part of one's soul and as a permanent scar across one's view of existence. So there you have the exact opposite viewpoints. Pain is unimportant not to dominate your consciousness. Pain is important. It's the most important thing. You've got to accept it. What about the view of man? Peterson. We're pack animals, beasts of burden. We must bear a load to justify our miserable existence. Our existence is miserable. It needs justification. We justify it by doing, toiling in the service of something. Now, here's Ayn Rand Man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransigent mind, and a step that travels unlimited roads. Complete opposite. Peterson, happiness is unimportant. That's not a quote, but happiness is unimportant. Suffering is the real goods, the meaning of life. Ayn Rand, again from Atlas Shrugged, there is no moral substitute for happiness. There is no more despicable coward than the man who deserted the battle for his joy fearing to assert his right to existence, lacking the courage and the loyalty to life of a bird or a flower reaching for the sun. Now, it's not that Peterson is a Christian ascetic. If he were, it would be easier just to evaluate him. He'd be all black. But he also thinks that You shouldn't be a coward. You should man up and try to achieve things. But it's a kind of Byronic universe where you struggle, you fight your fate, you're going to bear the scars, you're going to be wounded in the end, you're going to die and lose, but you've got to make the effort. You've got to justify your miserable existence. What is behind these views? And how does Peterson present his views? It's based on the wrong ideas that I started this whole series with. Evolutionary psychology. What do I mean by that? I mean the claim and belief that evolution shapes the content of your character, of your mind, of your psyche, rather than that evolution provides you with a conceptual faculty and a valuing emotional mechanism that you have to run and program and you're not saddled with instincts or innate desires. But Peterson is very much on the side of you know, there's a gene for criminality. There's a gene for this and for that, and we're all. He begins the first rule by talking about lobsters, and he says that the um, there's all kinds of built-in things that evolution has put there. Um, let's see if I have the right uh, quote here. Um, I'm not finding it quickly. But the book is filled with statements about what lower animals go through and how they are shaped by evolution as if we inherited that. And this is the Jung idea. The Jung idea is that we have innate knowledge. We have innate ideas. We're born thinking or predisposed to think certain things because evolution selected. But if, of course, the error in that is that evolution, which I am a firm defender of, uh, I, I am a tremendous champion of Darwinian evolution. But it's physical selection, and it has psychological consequences for man only through the part of his psyche that's determined by physical considerations. For instance, this is a point I make in my doctoral dissertation, which is on the meaning of evolution for human goals. Uh, You wound yourself, it hurts. That doesn't have anything to do with any learning, it's built in. You um, get ice cream put on your tongue or sugar. It tastes good. That doesn't have anything to do with culture or learning. It's there from the start. It's part of the setup of the nervous system. Hold a candle flame to the skin. Pain. Not learned. What would it be learned from? So there are things that are set by evolution. It's what Ayn Rand calls the pleasure-pain mechanism for the bodily sensations that are built in and hardwired. But such a thing as wanting others' approval or the quest for meaning or sexual desire is not built in it's not physical all those things have ultimately a physical base but they are the result of the thinking or non-thinking that a person has gone through in his life it's based upon his mind's conclusions not just his physical equipment again i want to be clear Consciousness, emotions, thoughts, ideas, experiences have a neurophysiological base. They have as a necessary condition, physically intact, functioning, healthy brain. But whether you are a capitalist or a statist is not a physical condition and is not set by your brain it has to do with how you exercise your free will evolutionary psychology denies free will or puts it in fetters and it's the latter that peterson does he believes that the there's so many constraints on your error area of choice that What you have to do is work with the evolutionary tendencies that nature has put on you. You can't uh, form your own character and soul by your self-generated actions across time. You have to work within the desires and the fears and the guilts and so forth that are inherent in human life according to him, and he illustrates this with biblical stories among other things. Uh, Let me read you uh, one. Genesis. Adam and Eve made themselves loincloths right away after they ate from the tree of knowledge, fruit of the tree of knowledge. Adam and Eve made themselves loincloths right away to cover up their fragile bodies and to protect their egos. Then they promptly skittered off and hid. In their vulnerability, now fully realized, they felt unworthy to stand before God. If you can't identify with that sentiment, you're just not thinking. Beauty shames the ugly. Strength shames the weak. death shames the living and the ideal shames us all so you can't escape from shame you're built it's built into you you've got to be resentful and envious the difference between him and someone like Rawls for example John Rawls the Harvard philosopher is behind the equality movement <clears throat> In politics, Rawls just accepts envy and resentment as a brute fact. It's just, we have to work with that. Peterson wants you to struggle against it. He doesn't want you to accept this shame and this guilt. He doesn't want you to deny it, but he wants you to struggle against it. And that's both better. In him and hopeless as a philosophy so to say although you see he's so contradictory I was gonna say to say life stinks but fight it anyway is not a tenable position but he also has a sentence it isn't that life sucks the problem is yours so in those areas, he's, he's commending to you, take the kind of action, mainly self-consciousness, which is good, there's a good thing in him. Take the kind of self-control that will minimize your feeling that life sucks. But I don't think he can, I don't think he holds a view you can ever escape it totally. What about morality? Well, there's something good in the way he approaches it, but then there's bad things. Peterson says there's a hierarchy of value. We need to have that. Where some things are given priority and importance and others are not. In the absence of such a system of value, people simply cannot act. And that's correct. That's absolutely correct. You need the guidance of a hierarchy of values systematized. Ayn Rand says in Atlas shrugged, To remain alive, he, man, must act. And before he can act, he must know the nature and purpose of his action. Peterson just said, without values, you cannot act. And she's saying... Before he can act, he must know the nature and purpose of his action. And the purpose is some value he wants to achieve. A being of volitional consciousness, being who has free will control over his mind, a being of volitional consciousness has no automatic course of behavior. He needs a code of values to guide his actions. But where... The two really part, that's where they're kind of seemingly together, is on the theory of free will. Of course, Ayn Rand is different from everyone on the theory of free will because she gets to the true fundamental. Quote, to think is an act of choice. Man is a being of volitional consciousness. Reason does not work automatically. Thinking is not a mechanical process. In any hour and issue of your life, you are free to think or to evade that effort. One thing that prevents Peterson from maybe getting that, or at least understanding it when he reads Ayn Rand, and he has some familiarity with her, is his epistemology, his theory of knowledge. That's the thing along with the metaphysical value judgments that are so dark. The thing that hit me was he doesn't know a fundamental from a cross category. So his fundamentals throughout the book and throughout his life, his work, are chaos and order. And then he puts in male and female, parent and child. Now those things are not fundamental and they don't come from the direct issues that we face in reality. Order and chaos are not primaries. Order requires a standard. Nothing in nature is either orderly or disorderly. Nothing is chaotic or non-chaotic. It's an anthropomorphism, a reading of your mind into reality to think, well, if the leaves are scattered all over, that's disordered. And if they're neatly lined up, I'm talking about leaves that fall off of trees. If they would line up in rows, that would be ordered. No, there's no basis for, for that kind of value judgment, importing that to nature. Every arrangement of leaves you see on the ground is fantastically improbable. It's one in trillions chance that the leaves would be in whatever arrangement they are. You, as a human being, prefer to deal with things in neat rows. So you, from the human standpoint, call that order. And it's not wrong. It's not like you're falsifying anything. But you have to remember, order comes from a human perspective with a purpose and a value to be achieved. It's not something you can talk about in nature. Now, you may be thinking, those of you who know physics, so wait a minute, entropy is quantifiable in its physics. But entropy deals with probability. Order is just a uh, popularization of the second law of thermodynamics. The real law doesn't deal with order. It deals with that which has more ways of happening versus that which has have less ways of happening so order and chaos are uh, imports into the situation and his examples of order and chaos turn out to be examples of uh, human control versus human loss of control he talks about a marriage versus a sudden divorce marriage is orderly you know what to expect there's certain traditions Then out of the blue, as far as you're concerned, your wife wants a divorce, and it's chaos. Well, you can talk about the known and the unknown, the predicted and the unpredicted, the stable and the changing, but those things, too, are not primaries. They're a lot closer than order versus chaos. Uh, But the primaries are it exists or it doesn't exist. It's known or it doesn't, or it isn't known. Existence, consciousness, identity. Those are the axioms of objectivism. Now, male and female uh, are way up the scale of towards the more and more derivative and specific. They're good things, vive la différence versus the progressive uh, campaign today, but it's not even part of philosophy. Ayn Rand's heir, Leonard Peikoff, when she was alive, asked her, what is the essence of your view on sex? What What do we need to know as philosophers, not psychologists, but philosophers about sex? She said that it's good. But all the, the things that, about masculine traits and feminine traits are not philosophical issues and they're very dependent upon philosophical issues, which he gets to backwards. As if they came in after order and chaos, male and female. Parent and child, I don't even have children. and I'm 77 years old. Ayn Rand didn't have children, except in the spiritual, intellectual sense. It's, it's not even a, a, something that applies to all human beings. So once you start with a sideswipe at reality, order and chaos, you know you might as well start with um, smooth and rough. The two principles are smooth and rough. And now I look for Bible stories. Oh, Jaysaw is a smooth man. Jacob, who is it, uh, and Esau was a hairy man. It's in the Bible. So you, when you start with something derivative like that, out of focus, you cannot get to full truth, and you end up, if you're a good person, you end up saying contradictory things. So like he says that a man is a beast of burden. We have to justify our miserable existence. Yet one of the rules is treat yourself as well as you would treat a pet that you loved or a friend that you cared about as you treat others. Stand up for yourself. The first one is... Stand up straight with shoulders back. Now that brings up another lesson from reading Jordan Peterson. You can't take the derivative as meaning on one base what it means if it comes from another base. The Fundamentals get infused into the derivatives. So if a conservative says, I'm pro-life, and an objectivist says, I'm pro-life, they mean entirely different things. The objectivist is for abortion rights because that's what the individual life requires. That is a right. The conservative means you have no abortion rights. The fetus owns the mother, so to speak. And can she has no right to her own life because this clump of cells has a claim on her for some reason. Mystical reason. And of course he believes, Peterson, I don't know how he stands on abortion, but he believes in some kind of God, and he's very clear about that, something transcendent, something mystical, something that is operating behind the scenes, something semi-unknowable that's important, and without that we can't have values. As I've lectured, with that you can't have values. Real values require that you be a free, self-responsible person. So because he has these vague non-essentials ordering chaos, even his better side is unable to formulate where he draws the line between taking care of yourself, which is good, and shunning your duties to other people, which is, you have these duties and they are crucial. So you have both a... Uh, dependent side that owes things to society and an independent side that doesn't owe things to society. Well, what makes a difference? No answer because there can't be an answer. There's only two consistent views. Either you own your own life, free and clear, or you have to buy it by service to something beyond yourself. There's no middle between A and non-A. We're now at 4.30. Let me see if we have questions in the chat that I can uh, quickly respond. We have a couple of questions, if I can. All right, you want to give them? Yes, uh, so we have several questions. One is from Alejandro, and he's asking, what were your original expectations about Peterson's book? About Peterson's books? Uh, the 12 Rules for Life. There were times when, mixed, there were times when I was I uh, was cheering, mildly, but times I was cheering and times when I was horrified, like the, our miserable existence, and man is a pack animal. I'm not a pack animal. I don't feel guilt because I'm not some ideal. Uh, I don't he, he reads into human nature, the neurotic psychology that I, he must have to say it's universal, but certainly his patients come to him because they have problems. So he's completely dichotomatized. Now, for instance, um, the um, thing I talked about, stand up straight, shoulders back. You know why you should have that? posture? Because there's a pecking order, because you're biologically determined you've got a sensor in you that estimates your relationship to other people, whether you're above them or below them in the pecking order. And by standing up and acting straight, uh, uh, shoulders back and standing straight, you make, you impress them and yourself that you are A winner, not a loser. But it's all about your position in the minds of other people, which is the complete opposite of Ayn Rand's every word and the complete opposite of the truth and makes no sense. Why should you be subservient to people who are supposed to be subservient to you? We are independent, self-controlling beings who are not the children of any mystical deity, who have a life to live here, and the good is to live it and be as happy as you can. Second question. Uh, We have another question from Michael. He says, Jordan Peterson has a deeply held malevolent universe premise and doesn't believe in induction and objective reality. He is the worst combination of Kant and Eastern mysticism. Oh, Deu- Deu- no! Deu- I don't agree with that. That's in his. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, he says things that are good. Here's the Kant quote: "Male and female, and parent and child, are categories for us, natural categories, deeply embedded." In our perceptual, emotional, and motivational structures, our brains are deeply social. Now that's Kant. Kant believed that the solution to all the problems in philosophy that Hume and others had raised was in holding that we cannot know reality, but we're determined by the structure of our consciousness to see things in categories. Those categories aren't true, they aren't false, they're just built into us. They were de- he didn't have male and female and parent and child, he had things like existence and number and causality. So on a, on a crazy Kantian inherited knowledge base, Jordan Peterson, comes up with these categories of male and female, and parent and child. So the problem is that he's working with categories that you can't make consistent, from a base that you can't reconcile with the facts. For those who haven't heard it already, every form of determinism, including genetic determinism, wipes itself out because the person who believes it is saying, I can't tell whether it's true or not. All I can tell is I'm hardwired to believe it. And I'm hardwired to believe that I'm hardwired to believe it. And I'm hardwired to believe that and that and that. So you he, he cannot claim to have objective knowledge about anything, let alone determinism or evolution or that there are males and females or parents or that he exists or anything else. It's all just fed him by whatever runs his brain, according to that false doctrine. So it's not just a you know cafeteria selection. I'll take the free will dish because I don't like the determinism dish. No, determinism wipes itself out. It isn't there to be chosen. Although people contradict themselves and act as if everything is determined, everything they say is determined, except for this one statement, that everything is determined. Uh, So um, I don't know if that answers the question, but to really answer, um, I, I agree it's a malevolent universe premise, but To really answer how can he be so contradictory, you'd have to go into the whole of philosophy. But I think you can talk about the fundamental. He doesn't start, as you said, inductively with what perception gives us and organize that in the most fundamental way. So there are smooth things and there are rough things. It's not like that's made up. But if you said the essence of life, the key to the kingdom, what you have to know above all else is they're smooth and rough. What are you going to say about various issues like ropes? Are they good or bad? Well, they're rough, but they seem to be good. And what about glare ice on the highway? That's smooth, which you might think is good but it kills. Well, smooth can be good sometimes, and rough can be good sometimes. That's the contradictions in nature. No, it's the contradictions you reach when you try to divide reality at a silly point. And order and chaos is more respectable than smooth and rough, but the principle is the same. It's a non-fundamental, and it's an importing of a human perspective into the nature of existence as such. Okay, I think we'll stop here. Um, Next time I may continue with some more on Jordan Peterson, depending upon your interest and what I can find uh, worth saying that I haven't already said. Thank you for attending, and I'll see you next Monday at 4.